Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hey, and welcome to episode 18 of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. You know, we are in 18 episodes, and obviously in the overall scheme of things, that's not a lot of episodes of podcasts, especially when you compare us to someone like Joe Rogan, who's got over 1,350 or something like that. And of course, in fairness, you know, he's been doing this a little bit longer than we have. But even some of our competitors are up to 40 or 50 episodes now, and that's fantastic. And look, at the end of the day, they're not really competitors, right? It's just that we're all operating in the same space. And so, you know, if you're listening to one or more of us, hopefully you're getting that much more good information. And, you know, that's been our our sole goal from the get-go is if we can just give one nugget of information, and yes, I've, I say that a lot, if I can just give out one nugget of information that someone can take away and either think about further or better yet act upon, then I've done my job and that makes me very happy about we what we're doing here. And, you know, when I got started, I said, look, I want to do a podcast because, you know, I've got all this information rattling around in my head, you know, that I want to get out there. I think that can do some people a lot of good, hopefully, or a lot of people some good, however you want to look at that. And and so I wanted to start it. And I thought, you know, the pace of one a month would be good enough. And so, you know, now that we've been in it for 18, it's like, well, it's, it's at times I wish that I could amp that up and do two a month. But, you know, in other times, I wish it was more, you know, or less than one a month, you know, once every two months, because, you know, you get one done and then four weeks later, you've got a plan and have outlined to some degree the next one. And so, you know, I think we're at a good pace. Um, If I haven't said it before, I, I work a full time job. I'm in the user experience IT realm. And, um, you know, that's what I do during the day. So, you know, it takes a lot of work, as many of you know, to do these things in post-production and editing, if nothing else, not to mention the uh, arrangement for guests and getting an outline pulled together that you think may work on a topic that you want to talk about. So I think one a month works. So with that being said, you know, 18 episodes doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a year and a half worth of podcasts for us so far. And so I think that's a, a great achievement. So I want to thank you guys for listening in. Hopefully this isn't the first one that you're stopping off and listening to. If it is great, stick around, go back and listen to a few. We'll reference a few during this session, I'm sure. But uh, thank you guys. And look, if you are getting good information, please feel free to share this with your friends and family. And, and we want to thank you yet again. So this episode, we're going to be talking about situational awareness and avoidance uh, or avoiding and and awareness. And, you know, in my mind, I think uh, the two go together. You've got to have awareness, situational awareness and other uh, uh, in order to know what to avoid. And so we're going to touch upon those things um, this episode. So, you know, what is situational awareness? So it's a combination of things. And you know, I think the easiest way to describe it and the easiest way to also start working towards developing a situational awareness skill is to think of it in three ways. In order to establish situational awareness, you've got to recognize or be familiar with what the baseline for some place is. Um, and that's first and foremost. So what is normal? What does normal look like, whether it's the restaurant, the church, 
the gym that you go to, whatever. What is the normal? What are the people doing? What do people look like? Who's coming and going? Those sorts of things. Next and most importantly, when you want to start paying attention and noticing when things might be out of place or go awry is um, just that. What anomalies are there? What things are out of place? And you'll know things that are out of place by understanding what the baseline is and what's normal for where you are. And then last but not least is when things are abnormal or out of place, having a game plan in place to deal with it. And that's kind of the situational awareness in a nutshell. And so, you know, the outcropping of situational awareness is being able to know what to avoid or, um, you know, when you're paying attention to things uh, either directly around you or just information that you're receiving, uh, making the good sense decision to avoid them. And that's the other piece of this, whether it's uh, listening, you know, for women, especially listening to that intuition. That's a situational awareness in a sense, right? (laughs) Pardon the pardon the pun, it's spidey senses, right? Listening to that, paying attention to that intuition. That intuition is probably right more often than it's not. Uh, Making the decision not to walk down the dark alleyway, especially if there's strange looking guys, uh, people down there uh, at night, even if it's a shortcut to where it is you're going, your destination, avoiding that uh, dark alleyway, whatever the thing is, uh, you've got to be situationally aware in order to be able to avoid the bad things that you might be heading into otherwise. And, you know, we talked about it in our episode 13, the importance of mindset and situational awareness is just a part of that mindset is being situationally aware means that you've in the mindset of being alert, paying attention. You know, you've heard the terms or maybe you haven't of um, uh, keeping your head on a swivel, uh, watching what's going on behind you. Um, just being alert and paying attention to all things, whether you're walking through the parking lot at the grocery store or the parking deck after a concert, whatever it is, paying attention, being alert, and then having a game plan and being able to react to that uh, appropriately is really the foundational of situational awareness. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's paranoia, it's paranoia. It's really not. Awareness, being alert, And more importantly, being prepared is nothing to do with uh, paranoia. I mean, look, at the end of the day, and it's a motto of the Self-Initiative Project, we're all responsible for our personal safety and preparedness. And so situational awareness and avoidance is all part of that. And so it has nothing to do with paranoia. So what is situational awareness? Well, we've talked a a little bit about it, about establishing baselines, what's normal, uh, looking for the things that are out of place, the anomalies, and then most importantly, having a game plan to deal with them or, you know, hopefully get away from them in the first place. So it's paying attention to your surroundings, getting your bearings. Uh, For example, when you go into a restaurant or wherever it is, sitting where your back's against the wall and or you're facing the exit so you've got a good view of everything that's going on around you uh, is so important. And then taking mental notes. Again, even if you're only in a place for a little while, say to eat dinner, you kind of want to get a sense of what the baselines are, what the normal activities, who's coming and going, what are they looking like, what are they dressed like, what's their behavior like. All of these things can help paint the picture. And look, 
you know, we talk about guns, we talk about knives, we talk about pepper spray, whatever self-defense, actual physical products there are, tools there are in the industry. I will argue that situational awareness and avoidance will keep you out of more trouble, keep you out of trouble more than any of those tools ever will. And arguably, situational awareness and avoidance will keep you from ever having to escalate or move towards using any of those self-defense tools when it comes down to it. So, you know, I realized the title to this podcast was a little clickbaity. We called it the best self-defense tools to carry. Well, yeah, being situationally aware and then opting to avoid potentially bad situations are the tool two best self-defense tools that you can carry, meaning they're in your head at all times and you can employ them at all times. And that's important. You know, talking about baselines and looking for weird things, I'll tell you a recent story that happened to me. I was at a major grocery store chain recently. It was one afternoon after work. Uh, I go in early and get off early. So it was probably midday or so mid-afternoon or so and i'm in this uh store in the checkout line i've got a few things and uh there was a person in front of me and as it was becoming my turn to walk up to check out i realized that this individual had come through the front door of the stores and he was a younger gentleman let's say and he looked uh completely out of place and it was notice it was noticeable immediately. And the reason why it was primarily is because, you know, we've been having 90, 95 degree days here, even though it's the first of fall in Georgia. And yes, this was a couple of weeks ago. I understand that. But this cat came in and he was sweating profusely. He had, uh, I think, gray or black, dark gray charcoal sweatpants on. And the thing that really set my spidey senses off, so to speak, my intuition off my this is out of place, this doesn't look right, is that this cat had a long sleeve, heavy winter jacket on. Now, it wasn't a trench coat like he could have been hiding rifles underneath it, but he had a full on wintertime coat. Um, the best way to describe it would be like a varsity letterman uh, jacket, but heavy duty and certainly heavy uh, for a 95 degree summer day. And this cat came in. He was a younger guy, probably in his early mid 20s. If I had to eyeball and guess might be off, but came in and he was approaching the cashier at the line that I was in. And for those of you that don't know, I carry, I have a a concealed carry uh, weapons permit. I've been carrying for uh, a while. And suffice it to say, I carry anywhere where I'm allowed to. In other words, I don't carry schools, government buildings, things like that. But anytime else, if I'm not on the job, for the most part, I'm carrying concealed. And so this, this guy comes in and it sets my alarms off and I'm watching him and he's sweating profusely and rightly so like he's got sweatpants on this wintertime jacket on, but this is clearly out of place, especially given the outside winter weather that we're experiencing here in Georgia right now. And I watched him and he got closer and closer. Well, he wasn't saying anything. And I got so intently watching at him that the cashier, when I got up in line, uh, she said, hello, how are you? Or something to that effect. And I didn't respond to her initially because I was so finely tuned in on this kid. 
I was waiting to see what happened next and what I was going to need to do. And in the back of my head, I had already played through this scenario previously, but I had already played through it in the few seconds that all this was unwinding. Well, next thing I know, this kid is reaching into the pocket of, of his jacket, his left pocket of this jacket. And I'm like, I, this, this could be the moment that I need to do something. And I'm waiting and I feel like, you know, the tremendous amount of time is going by, but I'm sure it was just a few seconds in the overall scheme of thing. This kid puts his hand in his pocket and from one moment, the hair literally is standing up on my back of my neck to he pulls out a credit card and I go completely relaxed in that moment in time to you have no idea how close things came to this kid's not the smartest tool in the shed. Now, thankfully that turned out to be nothing, but I was aware enough to know who was coming in and out of the store. And I was aware enough and situationally aware enough to notice that, Hey, this kid is dressed certainly like an anomaly who wears sweatpants and a wintertime coat, wintertime jacket on a 90, 95 degree summer day in the state of Georgia. Well, evidently, some kids do. Um, so that's the type of thing we're talking about, you know, being aware enough to note things like that. Uh, understanding that when you go to the grocery store over the time, you have a pretty good sense of who comes and goes. And yeah, we all like to people watch, right? But you, you have a good sense of what's normal for a location, a, a place that you go to, right? Especially if you've been there over time, like a grocery store or your gym or your church. So you can more easily spot things that stick out like sore thumbs to you. So this kid certainly fit that profile. Fortunately, it turned out not to be anything. I got all riled up and fired up for nothing. The good news is, as I didn't freeze, but I did become intently focused on him for those few seconds that uh, transaction transpired. And fortunately, it was a credit card he pulled out of his pocket. So those are the sorts of things uh, that that we're talking about. You know, when you're in a situation like that and you see something that doesn't look right now, I did wait that out. I did wait to see what was going on. I was standing out and I was standing in line with some food on the belt. Yes, I could have just ran out the front door and left my stuff behind. I didn't do that. In a lot of cases, you may be so inclined to do that, and that's okay. I mean, we need to make sure our egos in are in check and that we don't respond based on our ego. And so, look, there is nothing emasculating or otherwise or anything cowardice about fleeing. If you've got a bad sense about things or you see something that's completely out of whack, your goal should be to get out of there, especially with when you're with family or friends or, or children, more importantly, your goal should just to be get to get out and get away. And there's, there's nothing uh, wrong with that. I mean, look, it's going to make you safer if you get away. And so what if it turns out to be nothing? I mean, worst case scenario, if you were having an interaction with someone or interaction with that person that came in and looked suspicious and you just got away or you said something uh, off color to them to make it clear that you didn't want them to come any closer to you. Worst case scenario is they'll think what was wrong with that rude person for that moment in time. But for you, it meant that you had an opportunity to get out and get out safely. And that's what you should do all the time.
So again, situational awareness is about paying attention and knowing what the normal state of things is being, recognizing when there's things out of place, anomalies, uh, things that don't make sense, things that you know aren't normally there, like some dude wearing a wintertime jacket on a 95-plus degree day, whatever it is, and then most importantly, having a game plan in place. You may not have the training or be confident enough to fight back or to engage uh, in a situation like that. And that's okay. That's more cause for you to be your primary action to be to get out and get away. And that's okay because, you know, being situationally aware and avoidance and getting away only gives you more time to go get that training and, and to do that training. So you do do become more confident. So if you do need to respond with self-defense tools like guns or knives or pepper spray or, you know, finger grips for how home keys or whatever it is you've bought for yourself, it's okay. So long as you go and seek the training and you've taken time to get the training and you feel more confident that if you had to engage, you could and fight back. Otherwise, your primary goal should be to get out of there. A lot of the times when you hear about situational awareness, it's about like, you know, hearing the story of when you go to the restaurant, you should always sit with your back to the wall and be aware of all the exits, et cetera, and be sitting where you're facing the primary entrance. So you're aware of everything that's going on. You absolutely should, but that's not the only thing you should be doing. When you do sit towards the primary entrance and exit, monitoring that is not the only thing you should be doing. You should, for example, if you go to a restaurant, whether it's by yourself, your significant other, or your family, you should sit in a way that allows you to see the greatest amount of space around you. You should be um, taking note of how many people are working behind the bar, how many wait staff members there are, uh, potentially how many people are in the place overall, most importantly, you should have already taken a note of where all the exits are so you know where to go should things head south. Uh, you might even take it to the extent that for the tables that are immediately around you, maybe you're identifying who's there, what they're wearing, what their age is, what their race is, whatever, because you never know what degree of information you'll need to recall at a later time, especially if something goes wrong. Uh, anyone that comes in, you want to be paying attention to them because again, everybody's going to fit kind of this baseline, kind of this normalcy layer and anything that doesn't fit that, those are the things that you should alert to. And that's kind of the, the basis of situational awareness. And so there's a lot of good articles out there online as there are a lot of things on uh, situational awareness. And so one of the things you'll see is some people suggesting activities that you can do to help bolster your situational awareness capabilities. And so I won't go into all of those. I don't know them all myself, but I do know a few that I wanted to share with you now. Uh, some of these you can do on your own and with your family. It's even fun to engage. You can even engage your children with them to kind of get them thinking that way that they need to be paying attention to what's going on around them, etc. And then, you know, if you train in martial arts or self-defense, there's a couple of things, at least a couple of things you could do. Or if you're instructing a self-defense martial arts class, there's a couple of things that you can do within the context of those classes to help encourage learning situational awareness and that will help teach situational awareness. So 
and these may all have uh, names in the industry. I'm not aware of them, um, but these are just a couple that I like. So the first one is this idea that you show, of course, this works better if you're doing it with someone else, but the first idea is that you look at a photo of a scene, whether it's a car wreck accident, maybe it's a off, just an office scene, or maybe it's a murder scene or a suicide scene. You don't know, right? Um, it could be a photographic, or it just could be a, a, a picture, a graphic of a scene. And what you do is you want to show this to an individual or to yourself for 60 seconds, only a minute. And you want to try to remember and memorize as much as you can about that photo or that scene as you can in that 60 seconds. And then you're going to turn that photograph upside down if you're doing it to yourself or take it away from the individual you're showing it to. And there's a couple of ways you can do this. You can ask them specific questions that they need to be able to give you specific answers for. And hopefully it's exactly as it was in the photograph or graphic or you can just ask them to list out as many facts and details as they can recall from what they just saw. And the goal of this, especially over time, is to become more observant, to pay closer attention, to look at the details, like what time the hands on the clock were set in the office scene, for example, or what part of the car was broken off in the car accident that was sitting in the middle of the road or how many victims were involved. Whatever it is, the goal is to teach you to look for those details and to be paying more and more attention to the details because that's only going to help build your situational awareness capabilities, right? And again, you can do that with yourself. You can do that with your significant other or friend. And and you can even do it with your children. It's a fun memorization, uh, being detail-oriented game with your children, so that's the first one. And you can do that with a picture, a graphic, or you can actually take objects, random objects from around the house, the garage, whatever, lay them out on the table, give whoever's playing along with you 60 seconds to look at them all, and then cover them up and then do the same thing. Take the same approach. Either ask specific questions about what they just saw or ask them to list as many accurate details as they possibly can about the objects that they just saw. And that's a great exercise to uh, start thinking more about situational awareness and get you tuned in to what you're looking at and the details that, that you see. Another game, if you will, uh, and we kind of touched upon this briefly uh, in passing previously, but another game is when you go somewhere like a restaurant, and again, it's for yourself or for your children. You can even play this with your children. When you go in, find out the number of exits in the place. Find out how many people are behind the bar. Who's sitting at the bar? How many people were sitting at the bar? What race were they? What, what Were they male or females? Were they young or old? Uh, short, tall, heavy set, or skinny, whatever details that you want to ask about, go in with the goal of being as observant as you possibly can to make note of and remember as many details as you possibly can about the situation and scenario you walked into. And then when you leave that to go home, like let's say you had a meal, when you go home, in the car home or when you get home, now you can start playing the game and asking everybody in the family what it is they saw. 
And hopefully if everyone's paying attention, somebody can actually, you know, uh, make a statement and an observation of what was really there versus what may have been said as being seen. And again, the spirit of these games is just to get you thinking about details, paying attention, being alert, focusing on the details, and then knowing that you're accountable later for uh, being able to, to say what those details were. And so uh, that's a couple of techniques you can do, whether you're into self-defense or not. A couple that you can do if you're taking self-defense classes that you can s- suggest to your instructor or hopefully a couple of things, uh, a couple examples of your instru- of what your instructor can do is, you know, we used to pair people up and it depended on how many folks were in class. And so I used to say, you know, pair up in threes, right? I guess you can't really pair in threes, but it takes three people. And so the idea being is that, you know, a lot of times you'll be doing shield attacks, whether you're punching, palm strikes, elbows, knees, kicking, whatever. You'll have a shield holder, whether it's a kick shield or tombstone or whatever you're punching on. You'll have the attacker. So that's two. And so the idea is, is that pretty typical, at least in, in the Krav Maga world, is that you'd have your pad holder and they would either be calling out attacks or the instructors just kind of set up the scenario and the attackers going to work on that put pad full out doing whatever strikes they're doing, you know, singularly just, you know, intent on destroying that pad. But the person, the, the job of the third person is to stay behind the attacker. Of course, the attacker's moving around too. So a little bit more advanced than perhaps level one, but the attacker's moving around all the while the attacker's on that pad. You want to have that third person come up behind the attacker and at random times over their left shoulder or right shoulder, it doesn't matter, hold up some count of fingers, whatever it is. And the goal is, is that the attacker that's all out focused on that pad, beating, beating the heck out of that pad is they're going to see a hand held up and they've got to call out the numbers, the number of fingers that they see. It doesn't matter on what side. If you want to add a layer of whatever to it, you can, you can certainly make them do that. But you know, if the, if the person behind the shield holder holds up three sh- fingers over the right shoulder, that attacker should be able to say, he's got three fingers up and keep going on that pad. Right. The idea being is that, yes, you should be focused on destroying that pad as you normally would, but you should also have some sort and keep some sort of semblance of situational awareness because we all know in self-defense scenarios that it could be very likely that there's multiple attackers. So that's a good exercise to kind of instill that thought. It may catch them off guard at first. They may not be very good at first, but A, it's going to make them start thinking about those things that they haven't otherwise been thinking about and B it's going to get them better prepared to recognize and to be paying attention to things that they're not immediately focused on. The other thing that as an instructor you could do is while you're teaching class, whether it's technique or having them do uh, free form work on the shields or whatever attacks, self-defense moves, whatever you can just have somebody, obviously you want to pre-plan it out ahead of time, but you can just have somebody walk in either around or weave through the students in class wearing whatever they're wearing, either hang out for a little bit, some period of time, and or just walk right back out of the room again as though they hadn't been there. And then after the end of class, ask your students if they noticed 
anybody out of place in the room, if they noticed someone coming in, and then if they did notice, tell tell you about what they saw. What type was it, male or female? Uh, what race? Uh, what were they wearing? And you know, give them some sense if they're accurate or not. Let them, but th- let them tell that story. And again, the goal is maybe they didn't pay attention. Maybe they didn't see it. But the idea is that they need to be thinking about those things. It instills the fact that they need to be thinking about those things, dare I say, worried about those things. And they need to be better paying better attention because at the end of the activity, they know they're going to be accountable for explaining, um, describing what they saw. And, and most importantly, just recognizing the fact that, yes, there was something, an anomaly uh, someone walked through the class that wasn't participating in class. And so the goal, again, would be to get them uh, situationally prepared to be paying attention, aware of what's going on around them, even while they're focused at a task at hand. It's it's about not being so focused that you can't pay attention to the other things that are going on around you. And, you know, <laughs> That's a really simple piece of advice I'll give too. you know, one of the things we can all do to immediately become more situationally aware or at least allow ourselves to become more situationally aware is put down the smartphones. Take your face out of your smartphones, whether it's you're walking through the parking lot to get to your car at the grocery store at work or the game downtown in the parking garage or you're getting ready to cross the street. And, and parents, this is a really good point to make to your kids. Get off that smartphone. Get off that electronic device. Get off that Game Boy or whatever the latest hippest thing is. Stay off of that. Pay attention to what's going around you. Stay alert. Keep your head on a swivel. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Use your ears. Use your sight. And use even your smell. Because your smell can tell you about, if nothing else, where you are in relation to other things. One of the outcomes of becoming more situationally aware is allowing yourself to be able to better avoid a bad situation or a potentially bad situation. And we've already talked about the fact that, you know, your primary your primary goal in any bad situation should be getting away. Now, if you're jammed up in a corner or you got loved ones with you, which are on the receiving end, uh, every situation's differently. So it always... Uh, Again, someone infamous that I know and have trained under always says it depends. And that's not an answer that anyone wants to hear necessarily, but it's very true. Every scenario is different. But your your goal is ideally to get away. But, you know, you're learning situational awareness, so you have that option for yourself. You have the option to avoid. And, you know, getting away is certainly avoiding. So, you know, when that situation occurs, when a bad situation is unfolding, or you think there could be the opportunity for a bad situation, you want to be paying attention, uh, for example. And these are some things you've got to take into consideration as you develop your situational awareness. Uh, where are the exits? And um, even if you know where they are, can you get to them? Because they might be blocked off. Maybe there's a big fire between you and the main exit. What are you going to do? Where's the where's the secondary exit? Uh, who's around? Who's blocking that exit? Do you know where it is? And can you get to it? Can you get your loved ones to it? Have you had any training? Have you been trained? 
And have you had enough training to be confident in your training that you could deal with something if you were confronted with it? Like if you can't get away and you have no other options, someone's threatening your significant other or your children, or you just have to go through them in order to get away safely. Have you had the training to do so? And are you confident in the training you have that you can execute? Because you're never going to rise to the level of your training you're only going to rise to the level that that situation affords you to, which is significantly less than how you train. So even if you train at 100% in class, you're never going to perform 100% in the wild. But if you're confident in your training, you've trained enough, then uh, you should be able to do what you need to get out of there and get out of there safely, and that's key. Um, you know, again, who are you with? Uh, do you have a plan with those that are you with? You know, for example, do you have a, a safe word that you can use that tells them what they need to know? You know, maybe you spot something that they don't because they're all together playing a game. You know, maybe they're playing the uh, the uh, memory game with the photo or whatever at the restaurant table. And you noticed the guy coming through the front door. That's not good. Do you have a safe word? Do they know what to do? Do they know what to do with that safe word? Do they know the safe place to go to uh, when you tell them something's wrong? And then the last thing, and, you know, this has to do with the success of whether or not, you know, the, the increased success of whether or not you get through these situations or not is they tell you to think through a scenario. In order to become more successful in getting out of bad situations, they tell you that you should regularly be thinking about scenarios, however crazy they are. Create things, home invasion for yourself. You're sitting in your den chair watching television, a movie, and someone kicks in your front door. What do you do? And so they, they'll they talk, and I've heard it a million times, you know, talk about, uh, think about scenarios, think about what you should do. And those that think about scenarios and what they should do and come up with plans for themselves, it is said that they tend to do better in those situations when and if they do occur because they've at least had some degree of planning involved. But recently in doing some fire ward and training with my company, I learned some other things that you should do that kind of break down the details of what it means to think through a scenario and not only thinking through the scenario, but doing a better job of hopefully coming out the other side in a positive way, you know, surviving the situation or getting out unscathed. And uh, there was four things we talked about in the fire warden training that I want to mention, because I think they're important and, and help uh, kind of give some uh, clarity and more details around just thinking through scenarios and what you might do. Uh, the, the, the first one is of course the training, how much training you ha have had, what have you trained in? Are you confident enough in your training? You know, has it been that you went to a uh, one-time, two-hour women's self-defense uh, training scenario, and now you come out and you think you're all ready to tackle the world should anything bad happen to you? Or have you been through two and three and four and five-plus years of training and you've done techniques and things, you've thought through scenarios, you're, you've become a, a uh, you know, you've come, you've become good at situational awareness, you know what you're going to do. Uh, so it all boils down to the training that you have. 
the other thing you can do is positive self-talk. So a bad situation occurs. Maybe it's a fire in the office. Maybe it's a bad guy coming through the front yard, uh, front door of the restaurant you're, you're, you and your family are eating in. You know, positive self-talk to yourself. You've thought through that scenario. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to be fine. We're going to get out to the parking lot, escape, call 911, whatever it is. You're talking yourself. You're amping yourself just like you would maybe in participating in sports. Uh, the other thing that you're going to do, which kind of fits right along with the positive self-talk, is you're going to be thinking of a positive outcome. You're not going to think about all the bad stuff that could go wrong, all the bad juju, all the things that could go sideways in that scenario. You've planned for this. You've thought about it. So you're not only giving yourself positive self-talk, but you're also thinking about a positive outcome. You're going to make it out to the parking lot. You're going to call 911. You're going to be five miles down the road before the guy with the gun even figures out that you've left the place. Whatever it is, you are going to think positively about the outcome for you and your loved ones, and that helps you have a better chance of achieving that. And the last thing that we can do, because, you know, of all the the adrenaline dump and everything else is that we get stressed out, right? That's unavoidable. So one of the things that we can do is slow down our breathing. And I've learned some breathing techniques over the years, and I'll share a couple of those with you. Is One uh, is referenced as combat breathing. And that's basically where you breathe in for four seconds. And I'm not going to do it now, but you breathe, take a breath in for four seconds. You hold that breath for four seconds. You let it out for four seconds, and then you hold that out breath for four seconds. And so it's 16 total. Breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, and hold that out without taking any air in for four seconds before you breathe in again. And if you do that repetitively, you'll see that that has a calming effect on you. Uh, the other thing that they teach you, even in uh, one of the things I learned in scuba diving, is that when you breathe, breathe out for longer than you breathe in. So let's say you, you're conscientious about your breathing. Let's say you take a breath in for three seconds. And again, this is kind of in the context of diving, but the idea is to calm yourself and to relax and kind of do away with some of that stress. So let's say you take a breath in for three to four seconds you want to try to let that breath out for six to eight. So try to double the time that you let the breath out that you took it in. And what that's doing, again, is actively helping you slow down your breathing. The other thing that it allows you to do is focus on your breathing so you're not so worried about everything, all the bad stuff that might be going around about you. But the key to the important part of slowing down your breathing is you hopefully are able to de-stress a little bit. And that's going to help you think more clearly about how to deal with the situation that you're in. So a combination of those four things, the positive self-talk, the positive visualization that I'm going to see my way through this, the training that you've received, and the slow breathing, those combinations are going to help you deal with the overall stress that you're likely going to find yourself in should something bad happen. And so I want to give you that nugget that... Again, I had always heard, you know, be thinking about through scenarios and what you would do and uh, getting through the other side. But I hadn't heard it broken down into those four aspects. And I, I wanted to share that with you because I think that's important, too. Situational awareness typically 
is in context of when you're out and about, right? But I argue that situational awareness happens at the home, starts at the home. And, you know, when you're at home, that's the one place that you should be able to relax and not have to worry about a whole lot of stuff and be thinking about the potential for bad guys coming in. But the reality of it is, you know, you need to be thinking about that even when you're at home and you need to be playing through this, these scenarios like we just talked about, even when we're home, you know, you're sitting in your chair watching television, maybe you're by yourself, maybe with your, with the fam and someone throws a brick through the back window. What are you going to do? How are you going to get through that? How are you going to respond to that? And so while you should be able to be relaxed at home and, and you will be most of the time, right? There are situations where you do want to have a heightened sense of alert. For example, you're in your front yard or in your driveway or in your garage with the door up and maybe you're mowing your grass. And so you have a tendency not to pay attention to who might be pulling up down the street or into your driveway at that moment in time. But you should be aware enough to be knowing if someone's walking up behind you in your front yard while you're pushing your lawnmower or riding your lawnmower where you can't hear so well, or you're not paying attention normally to what's going on behind you. You totally should uh, if you're out and exposed like that outside your home, uh, let's say you're, uh, you know, a scenario that I think through quite a bit actually is I'm under the hood of my car in my garage with the garage door up because it gets hot as all get out in there, right? Especially in the summer. So I got my garage door up. I'm changing the oil. I'm either under the hood or I'm actually worst case scenario under the car, pulling the drain plug out, draining the oil, whatever it is. I know very few people do that anymore, but I still take care of my cars that way. So I am under my hood. Or let's say I got the shop vac, not to promote anybody, but I've got the shop vac and I'm vacuuming out the inside of my car. Well, as anybody knows, even a normal vacuum, much less a shop vac or any of those big industrial vacuums are very loud. You're kneeled over vacuuming out the front floorboard of your car with your garage door open and someone comes up behind you. Well, what do you do? You didn't hear them. You couldn't see them unless you happen to catch their reflection in something or shadow. How are you going to respond to that? Is it is it a neighbor? Is it the mailman? Is it the FedEx guy? Or is it somebody trying to case the joint that you don't know and he's got you some pitch about a magazine or newspaper he's trying to sell? All of these things matter. And so, again, for me, situational awareness and some of those avoidance techniques start at the home. And that's an important note for you to remember as well. Sometimes it's not brought up in the context of avoidance, but for the sake of this podcast, and honestly, I think it is a form of avoidance, is one of the things they tell tell us in the self-defense world is that bad guys don't like hard targets. Bad guys look for unsuspecting, easy prey and victims, and there's key things they look for to differentiate between a potential victim and someone they don't want to mess with. And a lot of the times it all boils down to how you carry yourself. And, and this is especially important for women or anyone that isn't typically paying attention or it doesn't have a lot of self-esteem or is buried in their smartphone, whatever it is. So what does it mean to w- walk with confidence? Uh, it's so, you know, in my mind, I think of a few things. So first of all, uh, walking with confidence exudes uh, confidence. Uh, bad guys seem to have a tendency not to mess with folks that exude confidence or look like they're more confident. 
Part of that is looking like you're paying attention and being alert. So what does that look like? Well, uh, it means keeping your head up, looking around. You don't have to be bouncing around, looking over your shoulder all the time because you don't want to come off like you're jittery and uh, you're a bad guy looking for witnesses or a way out. But what you do want to do is make it a point to be cognizant of what's going around you 360 degrees and you want to look. You want to walk with your head up. That means you got to put away the smartphone and get off the games and the social media and the text messaging that all of us like to do these days. You got to walk with your head up. That means you got to be looking around, including behind you. Uh, And that means that you're walking upright with your shoulders back to kind of help with that look of confidence. You don't want to walk, you know, with your head down and your head and your shoulders rolled forward because that makes you look mousy and potentially weaker uh, than someone else. So you want to walk with your heads up. You want to be looking around. You want to stay off the phone. Uh, You want to have your, if you're walking across the parking lot, your car, for example, you want to have your keys in your hands. So you're ready to go. You look like that anybody were to spot you or see them, that you would appear to them as though you have noticed them maybe even before they noticed you, which is always good all about being confident in how you present yourself. And that goes a long way towards preventing any issues occurring. Hence, it is why I say it's part of the whole avoidance piece of this. In talking about avoidance further, you know, some of this to me seems secondary and common sense, but I know a lot of people don't think this way because a lot of people don't worry about the things that happen such a small percentage of time that it's not really an issue or they've got the attitude of, hey, I live out in the boonies. I moved out there intentionally so I'd be safer or, or worse yet, uh, I think it's a horrible attitude. But there's a lot of people today that say, oh, it's never going to happen to me, right? That's true about a lot of things. But the reality of it is, the good news is, is that bad things seldom happen, regardless of what the media portrays. But the key is, and the important piece is that we're prepared because bad things can and do happen. I mean, we have insurance for a reason. We have fire extinguishers for a reason. Our children are forced to do tornado drills in school. At least I assume that's still a thing. I mean, I know I did coming up. Uh, Whatever it is, um, you know, you wouldn't jump out of an airplane uh, without a parachute. I heard that analogy recently. A guy said, you know, if, if you had a choice, and you were on a plane, and the plane start, suddenly was starting to go down, wouldn't you rather have a parachute than not in that scenario? And that was in the context of whether or not you carried a gun. But I think it's, an, I think it's a good analogy to carry over because we do all these other things in preparation for a small percentage of uh, things that can occur in our lives. Why not be a little bit more active about our own self-defense and personal safety and personal preparedness? Uh, So in talking about avoiding, we talked about situational awareness to talk about uh, avoiding uh, some things, you know, uh, some key examples of avoiding means uh, not going to bad parts of town or into, uh, let's say, bad uh, vacation countries like, you know, my my buddy and I, I was just talking about this with someone the other day. My buddy and I 
uh, just in the last several years had planned a trip to Cairo to see the pyramids and the Sphinx and all that. Well, things went south in, in uh, Cairo, and we immediately canceled. Uh, fortunately, we hadn't done a lot with it yet, but we immediately canceled uh, any idea of going to Cairo because we knew it probably wasn't safe. Uh, the same for potentially Mexico now with all the cartel activity that, um, you know, may or may not be be talked about through the mainstream media. Uh, there's just some places that you don't want to go. So whether that's uh, locally in a microcosm of, you know, bad part of town, rundown part of town, we all have those, right? Wherever you live, you got the good side and the bad side of town, right? And you know you don't want to go into the bad side of town unless you got to get through there. Uh, to get somewhere you you need to be going. And even then, you want to only do it during the day. And uh, ideally, you want to go around that part of town, right? So there's just some places you don't go. Or or you don't go into part of town that are known, parts of town that are known for the criminal elements, right? Uh, Along with that, kind of going back to the dark alley scenario, right? Even if it's a shortcut to where your car happens to be parked out of the concert, after the concert you get out of, you know, after dark, you probably don't want to go down a dark alley, especially if you're by yourself. Or if you decide to turn down that dark alley and you see some individuals and you can't make out who they are or what they're doing and they're hanging out, um, who cares? Turn around, go the long way. Uh, What's it take? A few extra minutes uh, to get to your car? Um, you know, and, and so that dark alleyway is an example of a transitional space. So spaces in between where you are and where you ultimately want to go to. So in other words, like a parking deck after a baseball game, after a sporting event, right? You want to be extra cautious getting back into and through that garage because they're, they tend not to be well lit in all scenarios. Uh, sometimes the, uh, just for the sake of this conversation, the street people can be hanging out in the uh, stairwells or uh, bumming from change right there on the sidewalk outside the, the garage uh parking uh you want to be just extra careful of those spaces and avoid them if you can and look if you're alone uh, and you know especially if you're a woman alone and or alone at night woman or not uh, you want to be extra careful of these places and and ideally you want to avoid them altogether it's like uh, getting gas at the gas station uh, after dark you want to avoid that if at all possible one of the things I meant to mention about home and situa- situational awareness starting at the home is we did a we did a podcast back. Uh, podcast six was how to make your home more secure. And we covered everything or a lot of the things, I hope most of the things that one can do outside and inside their home to be more secure all the way from getting in your mail and picking up the newspaper out of your, into your driveway to make it look like someone's at home and keeping up the place all the way to installing a security system in your house and keeping your doors and windows locked, just the basics. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, that's podcast six, how to make your home more secure, situational awareness and avoidance comes into play in many different scenarios. It has impact all the way from uh, crossing the street to deciding whether you go down a go down a dark uh, alleyway or deciding if you want to go alone over to a, a new guy's or an ex-boyfriend's place uh, by yourself. 
situational awareness and knowing what things to look out for and what things to avoid is is what we're talking about here and and, and it applies across many different scenarios for us and so you know i just want to say this for people that would immediately pipe up and say you know i shouldn't have to live like this this is the criminal's fault we need to work on teaching people how to be better people so that we don't have to live like this well I would agree with that, but this comes down to, as so many things do, especially in today's society, this comes down, in my opinion, to that argument of ideology versus reality. And unfortunately, when it comes to being responsible for our personal safety and our self-defense and preparedness, it has to do, we have to address reality versus the way things we wish they were, or we hope we, or that we would hope that they were. So, um, it's not about it's not about behaving as we would want to or should have to, but it's really having to deal with the realities that we live in today. So I just wanted to mention that too because I know that's a big thing. Like we shouldn't have to do all this stuff. We shouldn't have to think these ways. And that's a true statement, but that's that's definitely more ideological. Uh, the reality of it is, is that we do, and it's it's incumbent upon us, and it's our responsibility, not just for ourselves, but for our friends and our loved ones, that we take the responsibility to learn and do these things for ourselves. I think this is a really good place to conclude f- f- this podcast. We've talked about a lot of things. I'm sure there's more things that we could discuss and more examples of how to go about doing things, but you know, I just want to end on the fact that the Self-Initiative Project was founded on the premise that we're all responsible for our personal safety and preparedness. And being situationally aware and, and making the good sense de- decision to avoid things, even when they may turn out not to be anything bad, is on us. And so hopefully this podcast has given you some tips and some information to think about. Again, if nothing else, I, I, I can't I can't teach you anything, but hopefully I can make you think a little bit about things, maybe some stuff you haven't before, and all in the spirit of making you and your loved ones safe. So with that, we're going to call this uh, we're going to call this a wrap. And again, we want to thank you for listening, and uh, please stay frosty out there. Mm-hmm.